Welcome to Delist of the Podcast. I'm Michael Kay. And I'm Allison. So a couple of episodes ago, we started on a sad, 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 sad note because we covered celebrity deaths. And yeah. so we're going to do it again. This podcast is so uplifting. We just got so much great feedback on it. And everyone's just like, keep, keep it coming. It was so, you know, such an uplifting segment. Yeah. But these are deaths we must cover because mm-hmm. they're very important deaths. There are three major deaths. And I should say deaths one more time because I haven't said it enough. Yeah. These are like touchstone deaths. I don't know what that means. I just made that word up. But it's what it is. It works. I'll take it. So Catherine Helmond... She died of Alzheimer's-related causes on February 23rd. She was 89. And if you don't know who Catherine Hellman was, then stop listening to this. Yeah, stop (laughs) listening to this and go back to school to educate yourself. You were a child that was left behind. Because (laughs) who doesn't know who? Who doesn't know who Catherine Hellman was? But so she was Aunt Jessica on Soap, which Mm -hmm. I never really watched. I did. Oh, you did? Yeah, I know that I probably just outed myself as being like 57 years old, but no, Soap came 67. on. 67. Yeah, yeah, Soap came on when it was like um, either before my nap or after my nap, and I used to watch it the odd time. Also, Billy Crystal was on it. Yeah, he was He was the gay son, right? Yeah. So she was on Soap, and Jessica. She got her face stretched out in Brazil. We've all seen. We've all seen the gif. Yeah. Again, we're not saying GIF here. We say GIF. Yeah. We're adults. Um, she was on Coach. She was on Everybody Loves Raymond. She did She did Voices in the Cars movies. She was in True Blood. She was Goldie Hunt's Snobby Mom and Overboard. And she was nominated for a Tony. But us children of the 80s and beyond really know her best as Mona from Who's the Boss? Yeah. And if you didn't just immediately picture a van driving down a beautiful winding road in the fall then again get out go educate yourself which really that van should have had mona airbrushed on it because mona was the show like yeah she was she was really the sole reason the only reason why i watched who's the boss like see i was drawn to mona the same reasons why i was drawn to like blanche Devereaux. yeah hair Glamorous, independent, a hoe, a proud hoe. Yeah, extremely horny. What is all this yelling about? Does the term hit and run mean anything to you, Mona? <laughs> well, that's what they used to call me in high school. <laughs> but also gold-hearted. Yeah. Mona just effortlessly glided into scenes, dropped her horny brilliance, and glided out. Also, Mona, has there ever been a better name for a horny character? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's self, self describes itself basically. Exactly. So, she, and she never won an Emmy. Can you believe yes. that? I think she was nominated many times for Who's the Boss and for Soap, but she never won. So this Shameful. this yeah this year, everyone who wins an Emmy should just give it to Catherine Hellman. Yeah, give it to the memory of Catherine Hellman. That is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So. Keith Flint was an original member of Prodigy, or The Prodigy, which I guess is its formal name. He also helped form the group. He was a dancer at first, but then did vocals on Firestarter and Breathe. He was a dancer? Yeah, he started off as the dancer. There were two dancers on Prodigy, because it was just the the main guy whose name, I'm sorry, Liam Howitt. I mean, I may be wrong with that, but he did the music and then um, Keith Flynn and another 
person, I believe a woman, would dance. Okay. That's how it started. And then he did vocals on Firestarter and Breathe, which were both number one in the UK. And they were off of Prodigy's third album, The Fat, The Land, which came out in 97, which was their biggest album. Yeah, it was huge. He died by suicide on March 4th at his home in Essex. He was 49. It's very sad. Did you go to raves? No, I was not. I was at home reading books. I was not cool enough to go to raves. But I will say that they played Firestarter at my eighth grade dance. And there's nothing funnier than watching a bunch of eighth grade Canadian children from like uh, Farm County. Rage out. Raging out to um, Firestarter in the school gym. What about Smack My Bitch Up? He didn't do the vocals for Smack My Bitch Up. Oh, no, that wouldn't have been allowed. We, we you could have do sm- smack my smack my cow up. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. smack my ketchup chips up. Yeah, I mean, smack my bitch up is a great song, but I think I like probably listened to it in my room, super super quiet, so my parents didn't hear. Because I'm like, oh, they say a bad word. Yeah, and when that so when that was out, I wasn't 21 yet. I was right. a teenager, so I couldn't go to clubs or anything. I couldn't legally drink, so I went to raves right. because that's pretty much what you did and at the time like prodigy was huge so they'd play the songs at raves and i wasn't really into rave music but i knew prodigy because they were huge so at one of my first raves i'm like my second or third rave uh we we show up and i hear smack my bitch up which again keith flint didn't do the vocals on but it's a prodigy song Mm -hmm. and i knew it so i i ran to like the main area where everyone was dancing right and when I when I was running to the main area, I passed by this giant speaker and there were probably a dozen people with their ears directly <laughs> pressed against the speaker and their oh eyes were closed. They were like meditating and it was the weirdest thing. And I asked my friend who he had gone to a lot of raves, so he knew what was up. And I asked him what was going on. And he said, well, they're rolling on E and like the vibrations from the speaker like soothe them. It feels good. So I just think of like all the ravers who are deaf because of because of Prodigy. And the last thing they heard was Prodigy and they probably wouldn't have it any other way. Yep. They lost their hearing and they're like, this is the only soundtrack I need for the rest of my life. They're holding their grandbabies being like, this is great. I never, yeah, I never need to hear anything else again. So this one, this one hurts this hits a hard. lot. Coy Luther Perry, or Luke Perry, as he's known. Coy Luther Perry is his boy, born name, which Coy Luther sounds like Shirani's like hotter and cooler brother, <laughs> Coy Luther. So he had a major stroke at his house on February 27th. Mm-hmm. He never recovered, and he died on March 4th. He was 52. That's yeah, that's really sad. I was watching like I obviously knew about Luke Perry passing, but then I watched them cover it on Live with Kelly and Ryan, which I watch every morning. And Oh wait, you had already found out though, right? You I didn't already, find out through Kelly and Ryan. No, what a way to find out, right? I know. I found out through the TMZ like alert, which is awful, which I'm thinking there needs to be an app that like pops up when there's about to they're about to break bad news and tells you, you know, go to a a safe place. Go to a not tacky source for this information. Well, not even that, just to, you know, warn me. Because it's yeah. TMZ, it's like glaring. 
Yeah, Luke Perry, dead, well, all caps. And it's like right after like one of those like member them things where it's like the before and after like throwback pictures. So you were talking about Regis and what's not Regis and Kathy Regis Lee. And I, always Kathy say, Lee. I always call it Regis and Kathy Lee, even though that's not what it is anymore. It hasn't been for decades. Um, so yeah, Kelly was obviously like very shook up about it. And I started to get sad too. And like, I know, I know you were into 90210 and... I wasn't, but I still got really sad. And I think it's because everybody that's been talking about Luke Perry has said that he was like such a nice guy. Like it's what I'm trying to say is like, it really sucks when you like lose a good one. And it was just very shocking because it was out of nowhere. And not, you know, not that I thought Dylan McKay was immortal, which yes, I did. Mm -hmm. But it's still like you never think I would have never thought Luke Perry. I mean, he's only 52. He's Luke Perry. Yeah, basically, it just it really sucks. Luke Perry was 52 years young, he should have had another like 30 years in him to be another 52 years. But you never watched 90210? No, and I'll tell you that my experience with Luke Perry, like I liked Luke Perry, but my experience with him was and my introduction to him was through number one, through the 90210 dolls, which I never had. I always wanted, but I never had. My neighbors had them. And two, as Krusty the Clown's half brother on The Simpsons, like that's That's how I knew. See, that's sad. You should go back and watch 90210 because he really was at the time like the ultimate heartthrob. Like yeah. he he was everything that Giorgio Catalano wishes he was. Okay. You know, he was hot. He was cool. He had a touch of androgyny. You know, he stood up for the underdog. He looked like really mature in high school. I mean, not Andrea Zuckerman mature. But <laughs> yeah, he looked mature. He had like, he knew how to grow out a pair of sideburns. And I, yeah, I think he was my, like, Dylan was my first crush. Like, oh, I was into Steve Sanders, like, you. celebrity crush, I mean. No, but because Steve Sanders, yeah, no, but Steve Sanders was, like, douche hot. Right. You know, like, he'd keep his socks on during sex and wouldn't call you after. Like, I thought that was hot. Yeah. But Dylan McKay was, like, sensitive hot. You know, he, afterward, you know, he'd pass you a joint and you'd watch old movies and he'd know all the lines. He'd, like, put his arm around you when you'd go to see a movie, whereas, like, Steve Sanders would cut a hole in the bottom of a thing of popcorn. Oh, yeah, that's hot, too, though. I mean, they're both hot. But yeah, Dylan Dylan McKay was like swoon hot. Yeah. Why is it when I'm with you, I can just forget about everything? Are you all right? Do I need us to slow down? I'm scared. Of what? Of me? I'm not used to these feelings. And I want to be sure. And I'm afraid you'll say no. I didn't say no. You didn't? No. I didn't. So like you said, like a lot of people talked about what a nice guy he was. Mm-hmm. So one of those people is Colin Hanks, Tom oh, yeah. Hanks' son, the Tom Hanks' son who is not Shet Hayes. The good one. So he told a story on Twitter about, you know, what a nice per- what a nice guy Luke Prey was. Like he yeah. never really knew him. But so this is the story he told. 
So this is from Con Hanks. My wife and I are on a plane back from Mexico. Couple rows ahead of us, these two brothers, young kids, are beating the hell out of each other. Their poor parents are powerless to stop them from crying, yelling, and screaming. If you're a parent, you understand. It was like this for close to two hours. Then about 10 minutes before landing, it starts to get real bad. Out of nowhere, a man comes from first class, hat, beard, sunglasses, blowing up a balloon. He ties it off, hands it off, like he's holding out a sword to a king, kneeling head down, arms up. Kids calm down in milliseconds. Plain Daniel bursts into applause. 15 minutes longer, and it probably would have started World War III, but we landed before that could happen. We get off the plane and are waiting in line in customs. Finally get a good look at the guy, and I say to my wife, holy shit, I think that balloon man slash hero is Luke Perry. So he ended up talking. Colin ended up talking to Luke Perry. Luke said that he carries balloons for that sole reason. Oh, Luke Perry was a real one. You know those balloons were condoms, but it's still <laughs> it's still a sweet story. Yeah. Now whenever I'm on a flight and some brats start being bratty, I'm going to think like, I wish Luke, Luke Perry and his balloons were on this flight. I want to apologize for that happy ass break music. You know our break music? Yeah. I mean, we come off talking about sad stuff and then boom, we have this like highly inappropriate happy music. Like we need like a serious version of that song. You know how TV shows and talk shows, like they'll have a serious version of their theme song that'll play after serious segments. Yeah. We need to get Jennifer Hudson to sing the slower version of that. I don't know if we can afford that. So we're coming off from a sad segment. Now let's move on to other depressing news. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kylie Jenner has officially been named the world's youngest self-made quotes billionaire by Forbes. So Forbes claimed last year that Kylie was on track to become the first self-made, again, quotes, air quotes, Mm -hmm. billionaire because of her cosmetics company. And now they say she's reached that number or whatever. So she's a According to them, she's a billionaire. So Kylie and Forbes, they, of course, got shit about this by everyone, including Dictionary.com, who on Twitter tweeted the definition for self-made, which is having succeeded in life unaided. You know that shit's bad when you're getting roasted by the dictionary. Twice. They roasted her ass twice. So Kylie is 21 and Forbes says she's the world's youngest billionaire. Forbes broke it down for us. So Kylie Cosmetics, which Kylie founded in 2015 and owns 100% of, supposedly made $900 million last year. At the end of 2018, Kylie signed an exclusive distribution deal with Ulta Beauty that put her uh, her stupid shit in 1,000 stores, and that deal put her over the top and allegedly made her a billionaire. So Forbes says that Kylie is also the youngest billionaire in history because Mark Zuckerberg didn't become a billionaire until he was 23. Oh my god. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I know that Dictionary.com is like, you know, dragging Kylie for not being self-made, but she is self-made. Like, she worked really hard to fall out of the vagina of a woman who used to be married to OJ's lawyer and she was made with sperm of a famous Olympian. And then she like worked really hard to get on a TV show that her sister got after she sold a sex tape. And then she worked really hard to like buy a whole factory that did everything for her. So 
I mean, Michael, it's so easy. How are there not more 21-year-old billionaires is the bigger question here. You're right. She's basically like the Oprah of thoughts. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. But really, she's as much of a self-made billionaire as I am. Nothing about her is self-made. No. Like, not even her face. Like, nothing. Even her marketing for her makeup company. I'm like, and here's what really grinds my gears. The marketing for her makeup company. Did you say grind my gears? Yep, I sure did. Grandma Allison. (laughs) Mima Allison. I'm sitting here in a rocking chair as we speak. Um, No, it grinds my gears because her whole makeup line was predicated on a lie, which was that she just over, like, you can have lips like mine. You just have to overline them with lip liner, which I happen to sell. And then, of course, that ended up being capital B bullshit. So, again, it's like it's not even like she's worked that hard. Well, I mean, lying to people is, that's hard work. For the Kardashians, it comes naturally. It's just a natural thing. So it doesn't come hard. But, like, those numbers are honestly as fake and inflated as Kylie's lips. Like, I refuse to believe that her makeup line made $900 million last year. Well, Especially, like, when Wet n' Wild Mm -hmm. is still available to purchase. That doesn't make sense to me. And I will say this. I was looking at Wet n' Wild the other day at the drugstore, and they still have pink frost lipstick. It's called, like, Pink Quartz or something. Yes, that is the makeup company that should be worth $1 billion. Exactly. So Kylie Cosmetics, they probably hired some independent financial analysts to give their findings to Forbes. And that independent financial analyst is definitely, like, Kris Jenner with one of those, you know, green accountant visors. Yeah, and she's got the bands on her arms. Yeah. That's who um, reported that Kylie Cosmetics is worth a $1 billion. So do you think, like, do you really think that she's a billionaire? I don't think she's a billionaire. I think that she made a billion dollars in you sales. You really think that? I mean, here, here's, here, let me rephrase it. I believe that they believe she made a billion dollars in sales. Also, look, don't, don't discount Kris Jenner here. Kris Jenner is definitely the type of person who would walk into Ulta and like buy all of Kylie's stock and then put it in the garage next to Rob's socks. That's true. But even that's not going to get them to $1 billion. Like it's in like Forbes. I think they inflated Trump's wealth too. So like Forbes at this point has the credibility of In Touch. No offense to In Touch, but I there's no way. Like Kylie may be worth one hundred million dollars, but she's not a billionaire. Like what billionaire is whoring out poop tea and hair vitamins on Instagram? Although I did see Bill Gates whore out you know waist trainers. So I guess I guess they do. In this economy, everybody needs a couple extra bucks, Michael. Now let's move on to R. Kelly. Some more uplifting news. <laughs> Great news. <laughs> so the, fi- the fall of R. Kelly finally got into full swing this year, thanks to Lifetime's docuseries Surviving R. Kelly, which features women who claim they were abused and held captive, tortured, all of the above by R. Kelly. R. Kelly was recently indicted in Chicago on 10 counts of criminal sexual abuse for allegedly abusing three girls who were between the ages of 13 and 17 at the time. Yuck. So R. Kelly thought it would be a wonderful time to do an interview. And so he talked to Gail King for CBS This Morning. And guess what? It was a train wreck. Yeah. No, you know what's even better than doing a hasty interview is a hasty interview that you didn't prepare for and that you seem super crazy during. It really is the best time to do it. So uh, he cried. He screamed. He got up out of his chair. Like, he, it was 
It was just a mess. Oh, and it was like an acting class in Van Nuys. Like he was like going through all the emotions. Like he's like sitting and staring and then looking directly into the camera. Yeah, that's a, though that was really that was weird. bizarre. Like he wouldn't. There are t- many times he didn't even look at Gail. He would yeah. just address the camera, and you could tell she was pissed off about that. Like, oh yeah. Also, I I did not like R. Kelly looking me in the eyes. I didn't I didn't know how I'd feel about that until it happened, and then I was like, ooh, this does not feel good. Yeah, the police got a call from me about that. <laughs> so he got like he was swinging, like he got so hot and fiery that Gail really should have just pissed on him to put that fire out. He but she didn't. So the interview was eighty minutes long. Uh, but as of right now, only the first part has aired. So let's go over just quickly some of the crazy things he said. Yes. So Gail asked him about the alleged sex cult he's running. Mm-hmm. And he said he doesn't even know what a cult is. Uh-huh. I mean, I believe that. He's like, he's like, I call this a sex family. And that he's never held anybody against their will. And when he said that, that's the one. T- that's one of the times he screamed and looked at the camera. And he told us like we were stupid, and like to use our common sense. Quit playing. Robert. I didn't do this stuff. This is not me. Y'all, I'm fighting for my life. Y'all killing me with this. I gave y'all thirty years of my career. Robert. Thirty years of my career. Y'all trying to kill me? You killing me, man? This is not about music. I'm trying to have a relationship with my kids, and I can't do it. What? Y'all just don't want to believe the truth. You don't want to believe it. At this point, we briefly pause the interview to give Kelly a moment. So yeah, I used my common sense, and it told me he's guilty. But yeah. that's neither here nor there. So he said he's made mistakes, but he didn't really say what those mistakes were. <laughs> he also said that the accusers are lying, and that everyone who is interviewed for surviving R. Kelly is lying. Of and course. he blamed social media for helping to spread the lies. He also said he's never had sex with an underage girl. Uh. And this was this was telling yeah he said he doesn't see like younger he's just sees legal which oh my god it's like he might as well just he might have just been like guilty 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 i'm guilty (laughs) yeah he doesn't see a 14 year old he sees "Eh, i'll tell myself she's 18 i'll tell myself she's legal so he said the only thing he's guilty of is having a huge heart (laughs) And then he accused the parents of his current girlfriend. So his current girlfriends are 23-year-old Jocelyn Savage and 21-year-old Azriel Clary. So he accused their parents of selling them to him, pretty much. The families of both say R. Kelly's a liar and a manipulator, and they deny his accusations. They also think Jocelyn and Azriel are being brainwashed by him. Now, they were also, Jocelyn and Azriel were also interviewed by Gail, and they pretty much defend him. Yeah. I mean, I could see them being brainwashed, because I did look R. Kelly directly into the eyes, and it was like staring into the eyes of one of those like hypnotizing snakes. So they probably just looked into his eyes too long. And But the MVP of that interview was Gail King. Oh, absolutely. Like, she kept it together. She called him out as acting like a victim. Like, when he was crying about, like, oh, I'm just guilty of having, you know, a big heart, mm-hmm. she... You know, she called him out for playing the victim card. Yeah. And my favorite is when, like, when you got up and was throwing, like, that toddler tantrum, mm-hmm. she just kept saying, Robert, 
Yeah. Robert, like his mother, like a, like truly like a mother when a toddler throws a tantrum. Yeah. But I mean, Gail's used to people like screaming all the time because she's best friends with Oprah. And like, what does Oprah do best? Scream about giving away cars and Ugg boots and shit like that. So I- there was at one point in the interview where R. Kelly like got up and started swinging. And Gail said afterward that when he got up and started doing that, she she thought he might accidentally hit her. Oh and like, God. imagine if he did. Like it'd be over it'd be over for him. Oprah would end him. Yeah. Oprah would do what the justice system has failed to do. Like she would just destroy him for, you know, messing with her ride or die. Oh yeah. Stedman would show up in a white windowless van and pull R. Kelly in and you would never hear from R. Kelly again. He'd be gone. And the other thing, so he says he's never had sex with any girl under seventeen. And that's coming from someone who married a 15-year-old Aaliyah. Yeah, I know. The ghost of Aaliyah is like, mm-hmm, okay, Robert. So the whole thing was just bullshit. And really, it's the interview should be used by publicists to show their clients what not to do. Because it was really a masterclass on how to make yourself look worse. And I didn't even think that was possible. I did not think it was possible for R. Kelly to make himself look worse. Yeah, but there we are. Now let's go from... A child abusing demon to another child abusing demon, except this one's fake. So, a Japanese artist named Kisuki Aso, I think I'm saying that right. I'm doing my Japanese ancestors wrong if I didn't, if mm-hmm. I didn't say it right. He created a statue of a terrifying bird woman and called it Mother Bird. It kind of looks like Michael Jackson on meth, kind of. Mm hmm. The mother bird was used for Momo, the Momo hoax, which is the Momo challenge. So this start, this Momo hoax started last year when news reports claimed that some kind of terror game was responsible for the death of a 12-year-old girl in Argentina. Police never confirmed that. Then there were reports that children in Mexico and Colombia were forming suicide packs because of Momo. Then Momo made its way to the United States in September and in the UK earlier this year. So supposedly Momo, who is really a picture of the mother bird statue, she pops up on YouTube in in videos for children, like clips of Pepe the Pig, and Mm -hmm. tells kids to either hurt others or hurt themselves. Mm -hmm. So a Twitter user named Wanda Maximoff warned warned people of Momo and retweeted it a thousand times before that account got deleted. So Kim Kardashian fell for that hoax and begged YouTube to suspend any videos with Momo in it. YouTube said they couldn't find any videos promoting the Momo challenge. So Momo was pretty much a hoax to raise hysteria. And um, Keisuke has since destroyed the mother bird statue. So Momo is dead. Oh, my God. I love Kim pretending that she was, like, worried about the children when meanwhile she was probably just mad that Momo's artificial face was taking all the attention away from her artificial face on the Internet. Well, not only that, like if Kim wants to warn children about a scary monster, she needs to warn them about Kris Jenner. Because yeah. that is a demon that will destroy a child's innocence, for yeah. real. <laughs> Insert that stuff into Peppa Pig videos. So people compared um, Momo to Bloody Mary. Did you ever do Bloody Mary? No, I was too scared. I would do two blood. I did two Bloody Marys and then I ran out of the bathroom. I was really afraid because my one friend said that she did see bloody mary in the mirror so i was like yeah no way that thing's gonna come and kill me so no she's lying but like well i mean duh michael of course she's lying (laughs) of course my six-year-old friend was lying about bloody mary (laughs) 
Yeah. I'm sorry to break it to you. Yeah. I'm really sorry to break it to you. I know you're going to need a moment for yeah, that. My childhood. <laughs> but she was lying. But like the thing is, like Momo's a mess, but at least she's more eco-friendly. Because that's the thing about... Well, so I was at a friend's slumber party once, and we... Like, every time there was a slumber party, we would do Bloody Mary. Okay. But one time, we go to do Bloody Mary, and we go into the bathroom, and her mom is like, no, you're not going to do Bloody Mary <laughs> unless you're going to pay my water bills. Because I thought you walked in the mom, like, peeing or something, or being like, get the fuck out of here. Yellow Mary? No. But she... No, because it's like you have to flush that toilet like 45 million times. Wait, and you what? <laughs> what is your... You tell me what bl- your Bloody Mary is, and I'll tell you what my Bloody okay. Mary is. Our Bloody Mary is that you you um, throw water like on the... You turn off all the lights, right? Right. And then you throw water on the mirror, and then you you chant Bloody Mary. And while you're doing it, you have to flush the toilet. <laughs> That's not how you all did it. No, I've never heard of that. That's That's the privilege. That's the water privilege. That's how us privileged did it. it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a huge water waste. Oh, my God. We never did that. Ours was we just stood in front of the mirror and you said Bloody Mary, but you like touch the mirror. Did you throw water on the mirror? No, we were concerned about the earth, Michael. Yeah, you Canadians, you're a step ahead of us wasteful Americans. But we there was a lot of water involved. Like, throwing it on, it was, yeah. Are you sure this isn't Yellow Mary? Because this whole thing is, like, toilet-themed. That's true. It could be Yellow Mary. Yeah. But I'm glad. Like, I'm sick of... I'm glad Momo's... Like, I'm sick of seeing Momo on Twitter. You know, people kept... Oh, I hate the picture of Momo. Like, bring on the homo challenge, (laughs) which is, is like, me popping up on Grindr and begging you to have sex with me, which I already do. Yeah. Yeah. There's already that. So goodbye, Momo. Yeah, exactly. So going from one uh, scary person that lives in your house to another scary person that lives in your house rent-free. Both of them rent-free. Yeah. So uh, Emily Ratajkowski, a.k.a. Emily Ratajetsky. So according to the New York Post, Emily Ratajkowski and her filmmaker husband, Sebastian Bear McClard, which... He's rich. Yeah. You already know he's rich with that name. Exactly. He's rich. So according to the New York Post, the two of them are living rent-free in New York, which blows my mind, first of all, because I'm, you know, I, it was my assumption that it cost you money to, like, look at a building in New York, like a picture of a building. So Emily and Sebastian Bear McClard. So Sebastian is a millionaire. He's worth an estimated $12 billion. And according to Sebastian's landlord, they stopped paying rent in 2017. So they live in, like, this expensive, uh, like, loft space or whatever in NoHo. And they've lived there since 2013, or he has at least. So in 2017, their lease expired and their rent is $4,900 a month. Which really? That's a steal. Yeah, that's a steal. (laughs) For a loft in NoHo. So the leaseholder, his name is Anthony Gosh. He claimed in like a civil, uh, in civil court that Sebastian and Emily owe him over $120,000 because they're just like, fuck it, we're not paying our rent anymore. They're still living there. So they're doing it because of New York State's 1982 loft law, which is a loophole that allows struggling artists and low-income tenants to live rent-free. Like if they claim, like, look, I don't have the money to pay for this. So basically, isn't it just squatter's rights? You lived in New York, so... Yeah, basically, this is the reboot of rent. This is the worst reboot of rent. I was going to say, instead of love v. Boam, it's like love v. rent-dodging assholes. So... 
basically here the unit's owner, the building's owner, they want to see the two of them gone. Their neighbors also apparently hate them. So they spoke to one neighbor and the neighbor called them an insult to real artists, which... I'm sorry, but have you not seen what Emily Ratajkowski does on Instagram? She's a real artist. Oh my god, yes. Like, I was looking at her page today, and there's a picture of her standing in front of a drink fridge in, like, a bodega or a 7-Eleven or whatever, and her whole ass is hanging out. So she's definitely an artist, and she's poor, and she's a starving artist because she can't afford pants. Exactly. So So, watch watch your tone person who spoke to the New York Post, all right? Emily hasn't talked about this because she's obviously too busy being an artist, and Sebastian McClard, Bear McClard, pardon me, um, had his attorney release a statement and it said, Mr. McClard is the, please imagine the dramatic violin music right now. Mr. McClard is fighting to save his home, which he has lived in for years. He's an artist born and raised New Yorker and a child of artists who themselves fought to save their homes, including under the loft law. He got that from like the Les Mis summary, film summary. That's where he got that from. He copy and pasted it. Yeah. So, Michael, will they ever get evicted is my question. Well, this is, okay, I'm not defending rich assholes, but but <laughs> the rent money, they could be an escrow, you know, because maybe like the loft isn't up to code, so they're refusing to pay. They didn't say this, though, so maybe that's not the case. So they're refusing to pay rent until it's brought up to code and maybe like things are broken and shit, so they're putting the rent money in escrow? I guess. I mean, how would stuff get broken in their house? Probably like Emily Ratajkowski knocking stuff off with her like giant ugly (laughs) engagement ring. Well, no, I mean like if, you know, the plumbing is fucked up. Right. And or shit is broken and the landlord's not fixing it. So you can refuse to pay rent, but you have to put it into an escrow account. Yeah, but like he's claiming though that he's like a struggling artist who like wants to like save his home so he can do his art he's a filmmaker by the way so it you know yeah it's bullshit he's fine he's fine (laughs) but no but see the other thing is like i know evictions take a long time but two years i mean come on it's pretty easy just like rearrange the numbers they live at 49 bleaker street just turns to like 94 and emily radikowski will be like Oh, this isn't my house. Okay. What are you trying to say? That models are dumb? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> Michael, I would never. Just Emily Ratajkowski. Yes. So finally, Michael, on a happier note, a more celebratory note, Taylor Swift, she turns 30 on December 13th. Which I can't believe. I really can. I still think she's like 21? 13. No, like 13. <laughs> 13 and <laughs> dating adult men. So, um, in honor of such... Those are not adult men either. Those are 12-year-olds. It's true. 13 dating a 12-year-old. The One Direction guy? Yeah, he's basically 12. 12. That new one, he's 12. Yeah. So, she wrote a thing for Elle magazine called 30 Things I Learned Before Turning 30. And I, of course, expected just a list of her ex-boyfriends being like, number one, don't date him again. Number two, don't date him again. But it's not. It's like life lessons or whatever. So it's stuff like she learned that you don't have to be sweet all the time and that failing is normal and you don't have to, um, like aging is okay. So it's pretty normal stuff. Yeah. Um, so we don't have time to get into all 30. I encourage you to go read them on your own. But here are the most notable ones to to me so the first one is taylor learned how to block the haters on instagram this is something she learned before she turned 30 so she turned all the comments off her posts um and she said that by doing so she doesn't get comments like uh being told that she looks like a weasel that got hit by a truck and stitched back together 
by a drunk taxidermist, which who, who left who left that weasel comment? You or me? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't. We remember. worked on it together. It was a co co project. Yeah, and you know what? I didn't say weasel. I called her a squirrel. So yeah, and I changed it to weasel. Yeah. So another one is uh, she says get to know someone before you jump into real, a relationship with them. So I mean, or just read the yes. contract first. Yeah. Before. Yeah. Um, my favorite one was that she says that she loves command tape. Michael, do you know what command tape is? Yeah, she got paid for that. Oh, she totally. There's going to be a commercial of her like singing about command tape very soon. You watch. So another one was she said that um, you like she realized her like realizing her childhood scars. And for Taylor, apparently one of those was being super hung up on never being a popular girl, which girl, please, you know, she was popular. But still, she that would explain, though, why she had that whole squad thing a couple years ago. Because she said that she was kind of overcompensating for not being a popular girl. And like, all of a sudden, she was a popular musician and people want to be friends with her. So then she was like bragging about how many friends she had. It was all very desperate. And I'm kind of glad that she can now acknowledge how desperate it was. Mm-hmm. But good for her. So she's growing. She's going from 13 to 14. Exactly. So my favorite one, though, is she said that she learned how to disarm a bully and hmm, I wonder who she could be talking about here. So rhymes in- with dim dark trashian yeah exactly so she said damn fart trashian yeah perfect i she, she should just change her name to that so she says in my experience i've come to see that bullies want to be feared and taken seriously i love i love how shady that was taken seriously anyway a few years ago someone started an online hate campaign by calling me a snake on the internet the fact that so many people jumped on board with it led me to feeling lower than i've ever felt in my life but i can't tell you how hard i had how hard I had to keep from laughing every time my 63-foot inflatable cobra named Karen appeared on stage in front of 60,000 screaming fans. And that was during her reputation tour. So basically... And this is like a 30-year-old said that. Yeah. An almost 30-year-old is like, I was so, like, felt so gratified when this inflatable snake... Like, yeah. ha you, I got you, haters. Yeah. Hey, haters, I got a giant pool toy that I bring out on my tours every day. I showed you, and I'm 30. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I took down an almost 40-year-old woman this way. So I love, though, how Taylor's like, I've learned from it. I've learned not to, like, you know, focus on my bullies. But meanwhile, she's like, and now I've written an article and I dedicate a whole paragraph to talking about my bully. So what she's talking about is Kim Kardashian back in the olden days. This is probably three years ago. Yeah. Maybe Kim Kardashian and exposed her as a liar mm-hmm. by posting that video of her I f- even forgot what it was about what Kanye. was it about it was about a Kanye oh Ka- Kanye she being okay yeah, yeah she being okay with Kanye calling her out in a song yeah. and her actually liking it so because K- Taylor first said she was very offended and so Kim put out this video of Kanye on the phone with Taylor and called her a snake is that one yeah. called her a snake yeah so yes. that's what she's talking about yeah so I read the whole thing, which, okay, and she kind of sort of comes off likable. I'd agree. Like she is. There's moments of self-awareness, mm-hmm. but where she completely lost me, and my only takeaway is that, so she talks about how she used to use Sharpie as eyeliner, and <laughs> now she says it was a mistake and to not do it. So like, she's a chola-phobic demon. Yeah. Like that's chola shaming. And honestly, Elle shouldn't run that. Yeah. Also, did Taylor Swift ever actually use Sharpie on her eyebrows? I could see her, honestly, thinking it's, like, badass. She watched, like, um, she watched, um, what was, oh, my God, like, what is that movie? It is escaping me. 
It's one of my favorite movies and it's escaping me. It's the Chola movie. My Crazy Life. Mi Vida Loca? Yes. She watched it like once and then she lived like, she went Chola like uh, Casper was her Chola name. <laughs> or La Shy Girl. Lil and Broom. <laughs> Little Broom. Little Scarecrow. Yeah. And so she did it once and thought it was badass. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that this is the part where we go over five stories quickly-ish, starting with Rihanna, Mm -hmm. who signed a huge deal with LVMH, which is a luxury company that owns Louis Vuitton, Fendi, Christian Dior, blah, 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 blah. So the site Capital Extra says that Riri has invested $30 million into the partnership, and she plans... To not only produce a luxury clothing and accessories line, but she also plans to sell high-end office supplies, tech products, home decor, and gardening tools. Hoes are shook. I know. Michael, I was like, well, who's going to get to the hoe joke first? I know. We're like running for it. My <laughs> claws are in the ground. No, but it makes sense because if there's anyone I trust to know how to make weed disappear, it's Rihanna. We Oh, it took me a minute. I was like... Huh? Trust me. It's, and I'm it totally to, sober. Yeah. It took me a minute to try to make that one work. All right. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So Riri is making everything but music. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm fine with that. But like, when is she going to really fulfill her destiny and make weed? Like, when are we going to get Fenty weed? Because you know that shit is good. Like, I want whatever she smokes while putting together those outfits she's been wearing recently. She's like, you can't afford it, Michael. I can't. But if I smoke. Fenty weed, I'll think I can. Yeah. So Carly Rae Jepsen was on Zane Lowe's Beats One radio show in the UK. And she told a story about how she was once on a private plane with Michael Bolton and Seal. So that's like an easy listening dream mm-hmm. or a nightmare, depending on how you look at it. So Carly said she watched Seal open up a package of gluten-free bread. He took out a slice, closed the package, ate the slice, opened up the package again, took out another slice, closed the package, ate it. So he did that over and over again until the entire loaf was gone. And she said she wished she would have recorded it, but she didn't. What I want to know is whether or not he brought the bread from home or if he bought it in the airport. Because if he bought it in the airport, that to me is like a major power move. Because how much do you think a loaf of bread at the airport costs? Like $400? A gluten-free $800. You're right. But see, so, I mean, eating a whole loaf of bread is not crazy. I do that. And I do even do that thing where it's like, okay, I'm just going to have one slice and then I eat it and then I close it and I'm like, okay, just one more. And then the loaf is gone. But what really took me out was gluten-free. Yeah, that's gr- gross. The whole the whole loaf of it? Most gluten-free bread that I've had has like the consistency of cardboard. So either Seal is a freak or his throat is lined with sandpaper. I'm going to go a freak. He's a freak. freak. He's a freak. He's a freak. So Pete Davidson, (laughs) that was a good segue. Pete Davidson and Kate Beckinsdale, they're still a thing. They were at a hockey game in New York City and pretty much suck face in the stands or whatever you call it. What do you call it? Stands? Uh, Yeah, stands. So and then so Anthony from Queer Eye was sitting next to them and cringing. So there's pictures of this. Look it up if you haven't seen it. Also, Kate, she dated this younger comedian named Matt Reif. Remember him? Mm -hmm. He's like a hotter Pete Davidson. Mm -hmm. She dated him for about a year. And TMZ asked him if he had any advice for Pete. And his advice was run. Really? Yeah. Enjoy enjoy it. Enjoy it while you can. Oh, my God. I love the drama of this. 
<laughs> so, Michael, back to the hockey game. And here's going to be my bad dad joke for the night, okay? Or okay, I got the gong. Okay. I guess you could say the players weren't the only ones spending some time in the box that night. It's penalty box. It's penalty box joke. Oh, I got him. So you're her, the um, the box is her vagina. You got it. I'll show myself. <laughs> I put two, to, two, two together. <laughs> but like those pictures are gross. Oh, they're they're very gross. I do not like a kiss cam. And so. yeah, and they're proof that Kate is stigmatized in the worst kind of way. I mean, like Ariana Grande, she got a tattoo tribute of Pete. Several, right? Yeah on her and she was stigmatized and but she never made out with him like at a hockey game so Kate is a new kind of stigmatized and she needs help yeah so let's congratulate 2016 hot slut of the year Anna Navarro Mm -hmm. she got married to fellow Trump hater and Florida GOP head Al Cardenas in Miami so guests included Anderson Cooper Don Lemon Eva Longoria, Gloria Stefan, and Sunny Hostin and Joy Bayar from The View. Anna's on The View on Fridays. Um, Michael, I wonder who she got to DJ her wedding, because I also wonder if they used a Miami sound machine to pump out the music. Okay, and that was more good- that was more dad joke than the other one. Yeah, that's a that's a good Gloria Stefan joke. Anna, like I said, is on The View on Fridays mm-hmm. with Megan McCain, and sometimes they get into it. Yeah. But I'm still like, I'm honestly still surprised Megan was not at Anna's wedding. Yeah, because if there's any time that you want to invite a messy bitch to something, it's a wedding. Okay, so now let's end with some sweet news, alleged sweet news. So a YouTuber named Cece Ewing, who is honestly now one of my favorite Ewings, Mm -hmm. says that she was talking to her grandmother about Mr. Rogers, and her grandmother asked her if she knew Mr. Rogers was bisexual. And that's like a come again moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cece's grandmother, grandma. Cece's grandmother, read the 2018 biography *The Good Neighbor*, and in it, the author Maxwell King talks to one of Mister Rogers' gay friends, Doctor William Hirsch. Doc, yeah, Doctor William Hirsch. So Doctor Hirsch claims he had a conversation with Mister Rogers about sexuality, and Mister Rogers said that if sexuality was measured on a scale, he'd be right in the middle because he finds both men and women attractive. There you go. I like this news. I believe it in Mister Rogers. Mister Rogers loves everyone. His heart is so big. He's somebody who's guilty of having a heart that's too big. Yeah, not R. Kelly. It's no. Mister Rogers. But like 2019, so far is a shit show. So I'm glad that we have this happy news. That yeah. Mr. Rogers was probably bisexual because that may have made the, this year a little better. Yeah. And now, you know, there's going to be like tons of guys on Grindr going by the handle Daniel Tiger. Wasn't Daniel Tiger a little boy? I mean, <laughs> the name sounds sexy. <laughs> and like, see, I don't want see, I don't want to hear people say that his outfits gave it away because to me, that's his outfits were straight guy all the way. Like that's like straight guy. But what did give it away is how he gossip with Lady Elaine Fairchild. Because she's the hag of every gay's dream. Before we go, we just want to let all of you know that if you have a question for our shit advice segment or want to send us a tip or whatever, you can email us at DTP at delisted.com. 
DTP at delisted.com. You can also find me on Twitter at MKDelisted and Allison at... At Allison M. Davey at, at Twitter. I was going to say Twitter.com. Sorry, my brain literally stopped working. <laughs> you really are Grandma Allison at Twitter. <laughs> Go to www.http <laughs> call in. Yeah, I'm Allison M. Davey. With an E. Yeah. Well, E-Y, yeah. Yeah, and an M and two L's. So that ends this show. Till next time. Bye. Bye.